Welcome to the Life, Learning, and Success podcast. This week we have famous quarterback coach Jeff Christensen, former NFL player, longtime quarterback coach, and now among the elite quarterback coaches in the country. Going to talk to you about leadership, what it takes to be successful at the NFL level as a quarterback, and what kind of players the NFL should be looking for with respect to quarterbacks and their type of leadership. It's an exciting, amazing podcast with some very candid thoughts and ideas from Jeff Christensen. Enjoy now live on the Life Learning and Success podcast. Renowned quarterback coach, uh, works with a ton of NFL stars, but works with kids not just at the NFL level, uh, young men at the NFL level, but young men in, in the high school level, in college, and is rapidly becoming one of the most successful quarterback coaches in the country. He's a guy that if anybody asked me who I would send my quarterback to, my own son to, who's uh, currently one and a half years old, so he's got a little long ways to get there, but Jeff Christensen would be the guy that I would send him to. So I want to welcome you on to, to the podcast. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. We... Um, me and Jeff have gotten to know each other over the years from our NUC sports events. Um, and yeah, I want to let you all, the listeners out there, really get a great feel uh, for, for Jeff's background and, and what he brings to the table, uh, from not just from a success standpoint uh, but for, and not just from a coaching standpoint, but from a life standpoint. So, uh, Jeff, if you could just give the listeners a little bit about your background um, in football, in coaching, and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, um, out of the NFL, and uh, I shouldn't say that. I was thrown out of the NFL, and <laughs> I was cut in uh, 80, uh, 89, 90-ish. Uh, bounced around to seven training camps and knew enough to be okay, but Never really knew what I was lacking, and uh, came back to Chicago when I was done, and always thought that I got um, the short end of the stick from various people, and then one day, my oldest son, I wake up, my oldest son's 10 years old, and he wants to play football, and so I started coaching him, and and started coaching a lot of kids, and then I got the passion back for the game, per se, and uh, before you know it, there are... 25 people saying, can you teach my son what your son can do and uh, what your son does? And I said, well, I can try. And so I woke up one day, and there were 30-some kids. And so then that's when I met you, Dave. I started venturing out um, to the Elite 11s and the, uh, with Bob Johnson and um, yourself and helping kids and developing systems and developing ideas and thoughts and using old school techniques that I was taught and uh, applying them. And then as I'm going to these events with yourself and everybody else, I'd ask these self-proclaimed quarterback gurus, now why are you doing that, Drew? What's it, what's it accomplish? And I'd listen to their explanation and I'd say, okay, well, that doesn't work. So, And the more I traveled, the more I went around, the more I realized it was really uh, becoming a mistaught uh, position. So then as my son, my oldest son got older, um, 
uh, and got some uh, um, recognition and whatnot for being pretty good. Um, I think Dave, that's when our relationship got heated up, and uh, one of the greatest compliments I ever got in my life was the day you told me, here's what I know. I've been doing, I've done thousands of these. Every time I show you show up on Friday, I see what the quarterbacks are doing. I make notes on certain guys. I come back on Sunday. Every single kid that you coach gets better. And so I really took that to heart. And my theory now with all these kids, whether it be a Brock Osweiler or a Kirk Cousins, or a, it doesn't really matter to me, uh, I coach them all the same. So there's an eighth grade kid who isn't very talented, but he's trying hard and shows up. He gets the same amount of uh, effort from us as a coaching staff as the guy who's already got 37 stars. And because uh, oftentimes those kids are going to go on and become coaches. And so sometimes the impact you make with those kids is more important than the ones that have got have been given all the God-given ability. And so then up to up to speed here where we are now, uh, then when Garoppolo, who I got as a sophomore in high school because of his head coach, Doug Millsap, sent him to me, and, and uh, he's become quite good. And um, NFL teams and scouts have reached out to me now. I want to know if I can teach their guys what I taught him. And I said, yeah, I can, I can take a look at it. So now I'm up to 26 NFL quarterbacks and, and – uh, the camp of the academy is growing rapidly and, and some good young assistant coaches and things are going well. Hey, I, wanted, I want to go back to your influences uh, as a quarterback and, and your philosophy on, on developing uh, players. You know, one of the things I found that's unique about what you do is that you're straightforward with them. You, you don't sugarcoat things with the quarterbacks and you shoot them straight. And most of these quarterbacks their whole lives, you know, people are patting them on the butt, telling them how great they are, right? They're always the best athlete. Even if it's just on their youth team, you know, the quarterback's usually the best player or athlete. What, what, are, what are some of the influences that you had on yourself as a player or coach, and what did they teach you? Well, my, my dad, I grew up in a farm. And so my dad, you know, when you're out bailing hay and you're putting cows in and you're doing what you're doing, there's no sugarcoating it. I mean, it's it's right now, and it's in your face, and let's get this done. And that's the only way I know how to do it. And then subsequently, when I went to college, um, I had a full-time offensive coordinator in college. Um, I should probably back up. My high school coach, I was blessed. Um, he was just put in the Illinois Hall of Fame this year. He saw talent in me as a sophomore in high school and told me to go to some of these football camps. Notre Dame or whatnot, find your five best class plays that you want to use and make sure you can teach them. So when I came back as a sophomore in the varsity, I became a coach slash quarterback. And then on top of that, as a junior and senior, he he made me call my own plays. So I called every play. So I had to, I was forced to learn the game at a high level and, and always coach my teammates um, very quickly. Um, then I went to college and I, I had a Chuck Dickerson who went on the Buffalo Bills and and he was really a between your eyes guy and he's he's the one that taught me that the most important thing you can do is never take a sack by throwing the ball away and keeping your by keeping your team sick, uh, sick, second down and seven second down and third down and seven 
second and 10, first and second and 17, emotionally you haven't lost your offensive lineman. Because the second an offensive lineman gives up a sack, he is he is in a bad place mentally. And you're probably losing for three or four plays. And that always, I always took that to heart. And my senior in college, I took seven sacks. And I think I had 27 throwaways. And then um, when I went to the Bengals, got drafted by the Bengals in the fifth round after Marino was picked in the first round. I was the next quarterback after him. Uh, Lindy Infante, Turk Sonnet, and Kenny Anderson. Lindy Infante was a Paul Brown guy, obviously, in the old days. And then uh, uh, he owned the, the Bengals. And so he subsequently had access to Bill Walsh. And so at Bill Walsh, you got Don Torrell, and you got you got uh, Lavelle Edwards, and you got all those old school guys who kind of invented the passing game. Not kind of, they actually did. And so I learned via Ted Marchabrota then with the Eagles and whatnot the real emphasis on what's valued and what's not valued in playing a football properly, uh, both as quarterback and as an offense and as structure and spacing and so on and so forth. Um. And so when I got back into it, I went back to those old playbooks I had and uh, looked at the notes and started literally pulling the notes out of those playbooks and using them to coach the kids. And then lo and behold, uh, they got better really quick. And um, this whole thing of uh, how far you can throw it, how fast you can throw it, the velocity and all this stuff, it's the way it comes out of your hand and the, how it comes out of your hand and the efficiency of the ball flight that gets the ball to the target on time or it doesn't get there on time. And that's the that's the ultimate goal that you're after. With what you do specifically now, technique-wise, drill-wise, what are the biggest things that you're emphasizing with the quarterbacks that you work with? Um. The whole thing of you have so many guys now. There's probably hundreds of guys, you know, supposed quarterback gurus, of which maybe 25 started uh, major college football as a player. Most of them sat on the bench or didn't even play, but they tell people they played. So their onus is always improper with what they're teaching kids below the waist because they don't understand it. The thing that a quarterback has, if you uh, watch Garoppolo play last two weeks or watch some of the guys that are really good, um, balance. How quick are you in balance with your feet when you stop dropping back? And then when you have to move, how fast can you reset and be in perfect balance? Now, it can look like a guy is in balance, but it's actually not. And when I say perfect balance, I mean perfect balance. So if I two-hand shiver you in the chest, you don't stumble backwards, um, that kind of balance. Because the game has gotten so fast now with defensive players and, and smart, they know how to make you move. They know how to get on a guard's hip and make you slide four and a half feet to your backside. If you slide improperly and get yourself out of balance, the ball coming out of your hand will never be maximum efficient. So if that's the case, it's never going to be maximum accurate, and it's not going to be there on time. And that's the biggest that's the biggest problem with the game is now this era of seven on seven. I have no problem with it. It does some good things, but the worst thing it does is I go to all these events. 
I'd say maybe 10% of the throws, the quarterback is throwing the ball from the right spot on the field. They're always over-moving with their feet. They're, they're standing when they throw a 16-yard dig where the right guard would be standing when he's protecting them. So in essence, what happens on that rep, it's a bad rep. He just got worse. He didn't get better. They're all throwing their hands up for a touchdown. And the bottom line is, is he's becoming dependent on those kind of movements that he won't get in the game or that kind of spacing he won't get in the game. So what we do is we force them to throw it from a multitude of ways, but educate them on the spacing, the structure, the pocket, how to move, how to manipulate your feet, uh, all the different ways you have to throw all the different routes. So it's, it's quite tedious. What, what, what can a high school coach or college coach do when they're in those specific drills to force, force the quarterback to stay in the prop, uh, pocket properly and have the correct balance? What, what can they force them to do in that seven-on-seven? Seven? Um, you know, I guess a little trick of the trade in order to help them do things the right way so they're not throwing from the line of scrimmage. Have two assistant coaches or two backup tight ends uh, on a knee with their hands up uh, where the offensive tackle would be on the play and have two people where the guards would be uh, with the standing up, bent over, whatever, with their hands up. So the, he has to drop back through the guards and he has to throw the ball in, excuse me, he has to throw the ball inside of that pocket or inside of that, inside of that uh, field of, of vision with those things and his peripheral vision, those obstacles. That's, so, you know, it's so simple, but brilliant, because nobody does it. That's that's incredible. Um, well, I, I, when, I, when I shared that with Adam Gase this year in Miami, he implemented it with Ryan Tannehill. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, they've had a couple big bad plays go against them this year so far. But now... I was in New England for to watch Garoppolo and him compete. During the second half, I say he was 20 for 21. And if you watch his feet, his feet, he was never taking himself into traffic visually or physically. So he had good vision, and he implemented the the uh, in the seven on seven. He implemented uh, um, coaches, uh, players to emulate offensive linemen in seven-on-seven as they're waiting for their rep the next rep. That's – it's a huge, small thing that makes all the difference. Realistic gameplay, obviously, uh, the more you can create a real environment, the better off it's going to be for the quarterback. Who are are some of the most, you know, I guess emerging prominent guys that – one of the things that you've really uh, done a great job with these emerging quarterback guys that may not have been, you know, household names or first-round draft picks. What, what have you noticed working with those guys, and, and what are some of the skill sets and mindsets that they have um, that have helped to make them successful? Because they weren't a high, you know, high-round draft pick, Garoppolo. Uh, I know right. Tannehill obviously was, but. You, who came in and corrected a lot of his flaws, and then you got Trevor Simeon who's starting. Um, you have Stanton who, who's been a, a solid player. Right. You know, so, so give me a little rundown of those guys and, and what they kind of bring to the table. Well, the guy I'm most proud of, and it's an incredible story, is Trevor Simeon for uh, a lot of reasons. 
and he, he replaced Peyton Manning. Okay, I, I, now if there's a harder thing to do in sports from a public persona standpoint and a teammate standpoint. And, <laughs> I, I mean, when you follow what would be a quarterback, sweet God, uh, six months after he wins a world championship, um, and try to replace him and play efficiently and not make it a pressurized situation, then I don't know if there's a better example in the world. But he's been with me three years, and when he came to me, he had three major flaws, and so we started working on them. And to his credit, he fixed them. His senior year at Northwestern, there were issues with some players and getting injured and dinged up, and they had to play some younger guys, and the spacing was not the best, and then they had a couple offensive linemen get hurt, and so then there was a lot of second and tens, and they couldn't move the ball very efficiently. So they finished five and seven. And he had, I think, eight touchdown passes and 14 receptions in senior season. And um, an agent came to me and said, who do you like? I said, I love Simeon. Oh, he ain't got it. I, Did you not watch his senior year? I said, well, I'm just telling you kind of what I just explained. And I said, it's not him. The ball's coming. He's in the right spot. He moves perfect in the pocket. The ball's coming out on time. He's had at least 35 balls dropped this year. It's not him. So you can think it is, but it's not. And then that agent proceeded to kind of laugh and chuckle and say, well, I know you think you're good, Jeff, but, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, okay. That's what I'm So, um, thank God above, Gary Kubiak personally came to watch him work out uh, in Northwestern for his senior, for his uh, pro day. And Gary said to him, uh, your feet are really, really good. Like, you're really good. What are you, what are you doing? Um, and on top of it, he blew his knee out in the last play of his senior year. So he had to rehab his knee. So he rehabbed his knee in 120 days, and it was about three-quarter speed, and then Gary came and signed throw, and Gary said, I really like what I see you do. I mean, I'm going to spend a great nap in here to watch you, And uh, but I really like what I see. We may take you in the last round, just hang in there, and, and I'm not going to promise you anything, but I promise you this, I do like you. And... Trevor came back, and through all the stuff, his senior season at Northwestern, his first year he gets to start, he never said or never said one bad or condescending word about his teammates in Northwestern, about his coaches in Northwestern. He was always positive, always had a smile on his face, always showed up on time every time, and just went to work to get better. All he cared about was getting better. That was it. Cared about nothing else. And so we got to work. And through that work, he improved rapidly. And then, of course, fast forward ahead to what I just said, Gary Funfro, he sent in Greg Knapp. They took him in the seventh round. So then he goes out there, and, and uh, they, they trade Zach Dyser, another student of mine. So he's now gone. So Trevor's on the team. I said, now, Trevor, watch everything Peyton does. Don't bug him. You know, don't, get, don't demand things from him. But sit behind him. Everything he does, watch what he does, uh, when the opportunity presents itself correctly, uh, ask him why he does that. Learn as much as you can. To his credit, he did everything. And then, of course, this year when he beat out Sanchez, and now he's 2-0, and um, it's quite a story. Um, but the story to me is I call him in the era of texting, he calls me back. He'll call me out of the blue to say thanks. Uh, he wanted me to be at the first game against Carolina, and I was. He's just a normal guy 
who's truly appreciative of the opportunity and just loves to work and compete. And uh, Brock Osweiler, uh, he were teammates before Brock signed down in Houston and talking to Brock about Trevor. They're very close friends. So as they compete with each other, they're very, very close. And so that's the that's the beauty of it with me when I truly get a guy who's a good soul, who just wants to learn and get better, and is thankful and grateful for the opportunity that they in front of them, and they don't make it bigger than it is. What leadership skills? Cause, I mean, what Trevor showed there, being able to you know sometimes listening and learning is as much being a leader as it as actually being out there and directing down the field. What, what leadership skills do you feel are essential for the quarterback to be successful in today's day and age? Well, the parents are under this perception that, uh, as you know, they get exposure. They got to right. get exposure, and and it's basically a bunch of garbage. Um, if you're worried about exposure, you're not worried about getting better. The only thing my son ever did in high school, because I wouldn't let him do it, I wouldn't let him go to all these camps and all this silliness, was I said, you have one goal, and that's to be a great leader with your teammates. Make your teammates better players in high school, win a state championship, and earn your privilege uh, that you're going to get to play college football. And he did so. And uh, so he was quite talented, granted, but he only cared about his teammates. And uh, he told me you need 11. I'm not coming to lead 11 unless I can bring my two receivers with me. <laughs> they said, well, okay. So he took his two wide receivers out there and helped them get better. So this whole thing of getting exposure and how many stars you have, and it, it is it is really put a – it's really handcuffed us. Bobby Bowden, when he lost his job, Dave, said it best. He said, well, all I know is we had every five-star athlete in the world here on this team. The only problem is they couldn't they couldn't play. We stopped doing our own recruiting. We started listening to experts. And a lot of times you'll get a quarterback or you'll get somebody who plays on an exceptional team with exceptional talent and the kid's okay. And there's a kid down the street who, who unfortunately, his wide receivers are all five foot five and they run a five five and they can't catch. But yet he's 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 quite talented with tremendous upside. But he doesn't have the numbers because he didn't get the break of playing with uh, more fortunate, talented athletes. Um, the second thing is the, the parents in this, this equation um, not making it bigger than it is. Understanding that there's a tremendous growth experience in the game of football in high school and college NFL as long as you handle the people properly. When you start worrying about scholarships, for instance, the other day, a kid who was very gifted, his dad said to me, uh, he was in a, a, a conversation with somebody who obviously uh, isn't fond of me or whatever. And um, so the guy created doubt in the parent's mind. And this kid's going to be a senior this year in high school or is a senior. The parent said to me, the father said to me, well, what about, what about when it's time to get drafted in the NFL and you've, and you've upset three or four general managers in the NFL? How's that going to help my son? I said, dude, your son hasn't taken a college football snap yet, and you're worried about getting drafted. Are you serious? Are you serious? So that kid right now is under the illusion that his life is already set in, set in stone. 
uh, Kirk Cousins having the backbone to tell Toledo no thank you on the scholarship offer that they just offered him because he wanted to play in the Big Ten, and he had heard that Michigan State might come and offer him. So when he told Toledo no, it was the only offer he had. This was March after his senior season. And then, Nick, and then when he got to Michigan State, Nick Foles was there. But Michigan State came and said, okay, we had somebody transfer and leave, so we're going to give you the last scholarship we have. He did it on a, on a prayer that it might happen. Why? Because he wanted to play in the Big Ten. He wanted to be on a Big Ten football team. He was not consumed with starting as a freshman, playing all the time, getting all the articles written about you. He just wanted to go have a great experience in college and see how good he could become. Those kids that do that, that take the NFL out of the equation, they forget about it. Those are the kids, ironically, that wind up making it. Yeah, because they're focused on the task at hand instead of focusing on down the road, and that's, I, I think that's critical. What, what yeah, they're, fo- they're, focusing on just getting, they're focusing on getting better, right. and they're focusing on a great college experience. Not the result. They're focused on the process. The process is always going to win. No doubt about it. And, and, and what, what advice would – is that the advice would you give parents, you know, that are in high school? Let the process take hold and, and, and get as good as you possibly can. And, and um, you know, obviously in, in recruiting, people always try to look at what the other person is doing. Uh, you know, what would your advice be to them to, to take care of what they need to take care of? Yeah. Um, if the people you're that you're dealing with or you're paying to work with your son or are telling you everything you want to hear, it's probably not good advice. If you're around people say, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. I'd do this. I, here, I played in college at Penn State. I played at Pitt. Um, I played at UConn. Here's here's how I'd be looking at this, Mr. Johnson. I wouldn't be doing that. I'd be doing this because Timmy's not good enough to go to Penn State. And what's wrong? What's wrong with going to Temple? What's wrong with going to Eastern Illinois? What's wrong with going and having a great football experience? You know, your son's five eleven, a buck seventy nine. He's never playing quarterback, and he runs a four seven forty. He's never playing quarterback for Urban Meyer. Not happening. So, of course, they're going to tell you they, they're, they're going to be nice to everybody when you go to Ohio State football camp. But you're wasting your time because your son is not good enough to play on that level. I said that to hundreds of people over the years. And then they get upset sometimes. And I say, okay, well, then that's kind of interesting because Eastern Illinois is good enough for me. That's not good enough for you or your son. So, wow, that's kind of insulting. I mean, there's a lot of great colleges out there, John Carroll in Cleveland. There's a lot of great places where you get a great education. Illinois Westland in Bloomington, Illinois, $70,000 a year to go to school there. The average, uh, the average paycheck of a graduating senior is $55,000 a year. Tremendous education. You meet your wife there. Being able to check your ego as a parent and put your son where he's going to have a tremendous growth opportunity as a person and a player and have a fulfilled life is far more important than the pipe dream of the 0.003% of the players that might get a shot at an NFL training camp. Absolutely right. There, there, there's no doubt about it. I, I, I found that to be very, very 
interesting in, in getting people to understand how important that is, especially when they hear from people that a lot of times don't know. Uh, they think just because they know someone that went somewhere um, that they think that that's the right way, to, you know, to be. They have to do this. They have to do that. And they really don't understand. They, they have to just take care of business and do what's necessary and find the best place for their son. What, what, right. You know, what, what would you say, um, you know, and we, and we spoke about this before, the NFL, it, it's, it's a changing environment. Many years of, of bad quarterbacking at the college level, or I should say average quarterbacking at the college level, focus on the athlete quarterback. And I understand in college, you know, you get, and, and high school, you got to do what you need to do to win games. And, and, and so you can put players in that position. But it's affected the NFL and their evaluation process. Correct. Um, and, and, you, and you've seen so many quarterbacks that were drafted highly fail, and you see quarterbacks that were drafted later or or, or even not at all succeed. Um, what are some of the most important things that that if you could advise NFL player personnel or GMs that they should look for in their next quarterback that they're thinking about drafting? Well, um, there's a way the ball comes out of your hand properly, and there's all the other ways. And because a guy can throw a an accurate ball in a workout or in a, in a combine or a training, uh, doesn't mean the ball's getting there on time and or coming out of his hand on time the right way. And that's just good old-fashioned knowledge. The biggest, the most thing I'm most disappointed with uh, in today's game is this: the lack of understanding those little nuances of right versus wrong. And now, finally, I'm starting to get a lot of these NFL quarterback coaches that are calling me, asking me about, asking me what I think about a guy instead of telling me. And the per- the perception that a guy is doing it right versus a guy who's not doing it right, oftentimes. Uh, is minuscule because why? They're watching the ball. They're watching the ball get there, and they're going, "Boy, he's got a strong arm." Yeah, but his feet are all the his feet are both doing something that's wrong by about two feet each. His shoulders are wrong. The way he sits the ball is wrong. Um, this Carson Wentz kid. I mean, yeah, he's having some success, but everything he's doing when he sets the ball to deliver is wrong. So it's only a question of time for those those close completions start becoming interceptions. Because uh, NFL coaches, the defensive coaches, figure it out. There's a there's a right way that you there's a right way you set the ball and there's a wrong way. There's a right way the ball comes out and there's a wrong way. And there is no there is no there is a, there isn't a multitude of ways to do it. There's only two there's only one real right way of doing it. Why is that so critical? Because defenses have gotten so fast and so smart, they're reading quarterbacks' drops now. When quarterback stops and he turns his head. The, the corners are snapping and dropping. They don't drop. They're reading the depth of the quarterback's drop, and they're planting their heels, and they're breaking on, on cuts. And they're making, they're making monster plays on, on simple passes that should be like handoffs, but they're there, and they're there because now the ball's getting there four and a half feet too late. So the reason these guys like Garoppolo and, and uh, Kirk Cousins when he's throwing the ball perfect, um, and these guys feet set properly, and, and – and um, Romo, what saved Romo all these years is the ball is set properly and it comes out perfectly on time. And so the ball flight is efficient. 
the understanding of that has taken me 35 years to understand it. And so the NFL oftentimes gets caught up in a guy's numbers in college. Well, there's a problem. Uh, 60% of the balls he competed in college, if he throws the exact same ball in the NFL, it's a pick. It's a knockdown. Those DBs aren't going to be on the field. So when he's throwing a 15-yard dig route constantly four and a half feet over the guy's head in college, he's not accurate. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a concussion in the NFL. The ball's got to be on his chin. And 90% of the time, those issues that I stumble into are 100% mechanical issues. It has nothing to do with the guy's talent or coaching. He's doing something wrong with his feet, knees, or hips. He's turning improperly. He's not delivering the ball properly out of his fingers because something his body is doing improper. And so that mystery is starting to get a lot less clouded because now I've got probably 14 teams that reached out and contacted me. I've got two more ex-NFL quarterbacks, uh, ex-teammates of mine that are going to join me going forward, and we're going to start really trying to take this to another level. The When you walk into a hockey, an NHL hockey environment at practice, the goalie coach is the guy who played goalie in the NFL. When you walk into a major league uh, batting cage, all the hitting coaches were ex-major league hitters. Pitching coaches the same way. There's been a period of time here for 10, 15 years where uh, these quarterback coaches never played NFL quarterback. And so they really, they really, they had a perception of right versus wrong and the Johnny Manziel thing. I knew that was going to be a debacle before it started. Not because the kid did anything wrong, just because he didn't play the game. He played the game and he played the game small. You're going to be 5'11 and run around, you're going to get hurt if you don't run around the right way. And so um, little things like that, people get enamored with the results in college. And the Trevor Simeon story is a great story. Can he, can he make all the throws you have to make in the NFL? Can the ball come out on time, every time, the right way? And when it gets there, is it accurate? How smart is he? How tough is he? Does he have moxie? Is he the kind of kid that's going to study film four hours a night? Is he going to go out and honky-tonk around with his guys? Is he going to be a leader or is he going to be a follower? Is he going to be happy to be here or is he going to want to be special? All those key criteria that have nothing to do with what goes on on the field, but more so it has to do with how you were raised as a kid. Uh, what's your high school coaches think about you? Doing, he's the kind of kid that he goes to college, he's playing at Notre Dame. On his off week, he went back to his high school and threw balls with his high school, with his ex-high school teammates just to say hi to him because he misses his high school buddies. That's a guy who's grounded and made right. And, I, and I'm very blessed to say that everyone I work with is really, really a good person and very grounded. And it makes, it makes what I'm doing very gratifying. And I think those key criteria are more and more valuable now after some of these off-the-field issues that have happened with guys in the last year or six months that um, you just can't have on your football team, especially from your quarterback position. There's there's no doubt about it. And why do you think think so many guys in management have been willing to take a risk on guys that have not produced the success um, 
that is needed at the NFL level. I always understand when college coaches take the risk because basically if the, if, if the kid doesn't do what he needs to do, um, he's out of there in the next year, they send him home, he transfers, whatever. But the NFL, we're talking about money and may, maybe multiple years of your franchise being losing if you if you take the wrong risk. Why do so many guys take risks in the wrong direction? They just don't understand it. And they're, they're, and the see the this whole thing. I will I will promise you this whole thing with. Uh, 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 I'll just use it because it doesn't really matter. It's public knowledge. This whole thing with Manziel wouldn't happen if I was there because he, when he walked in the room, uh, it's not his room. It's my room, and I wouldn't be scared to fire him. I wouldn't be scared to cut him. And the problem is what happens, what these guys are starting to really eh, – sometimes they're, I think maybe more so now than before. Players are smart, Dave, as you know. And the millisecond you favor one guy over another, the second one guy gets away with more than the next guy, it's not a fair system. And players figure that out really quickly. And when you, when you lose a player's trust because uh, he can't trust that you're gonna it's gonna be an unbiased system, um, you lose the player, and you lose them quick, and so you never get a hundred percent from them again. And that's what gets guys ultimately. That's what gets guys fired. Now, why is that critical? Because your quarterback can never be that guy. <laughs> never. There's no coincidence why Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady or Tom Brady. They genuinely are the first one in the building, and they're genuinely the last one out. It's not like they're hiding, taking a nap before they, they, they leave just to be the last one gone. They're studying film five hours a night every night. They're studying opponents that are going to play four weeks down the road. And when players walk by and see you in there studying the film, taking notes, um, they respect you more. You're going to get more effort out of them. Um, and that's the kind of guy you have to have. And that's why the Drew Breeses of the world, that's why those guys last longer, because they're made better. They're made right. Uh, the entitlement era, uh, Dave, and what it's done, is as much good as it's done, it's done bad. There were 18, in the last two years, there's been 18 Elite 11 quarterbacks transfer. Well, if you're so good, why are you transferring, dude? Why don't you compete? You think we're supposed to just hand this to you on a, on a silver platter and, and pretend like you're the best one here when you don't have the work ethic, you don't have the, you know? And that's where a lot of these five stars, uh, 10 stars, 22-star rated quarterbacks at age 15, 16, you set a kid up for entitlement and complacency. And after six years of that, when they get to the NFL, uh, David, if they're made wrong, it's hard to turn that train around. You can, but you can't do it from a position of weakness. You have to do it from a position of strength. And strength comes from knowledge. And uh, a lot of times these young quarterback coaches, whether it be in college or, or in the NFL, who never played the position, they're so happy to be in that position, they can't see straight. So the last thing they want to do is upset the starting quarterback. The first thing I want to do is upset the starting quarterback. I want to see what he's made out of. I want to see what he comes back with. The millisecond I have the issue that he created to jump down his, his backside because of something he did stupid, 
uh, I'm going to get right in his grill really quick because now we're going to find out what it's really like because what I just described is really what happens in a game of football. When you get sacked and hit in the mouth, are you going to blame the offensive lineman or are you going to pick him up and make him better? And those are the little things that I think we got away from for a period of time, or certain people did. Um, and I think the great ones don't. The great ones stay on their path. Sean Payton with Drew Brees. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to say anything else. Uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, all the great ones, um, Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre. Steve Young after he watched Joe Montana. All the great ones have one thing in common. They know how to work, and they know how to conduct themselves as people. And so your offensive lineman and your teammates respect it and appreciate it. And so you get guys giving you more effort than they really should because they've got two broken ribs, but they don't, they don't want to come out of the game because they don't want to let you down. And then when you get to that point, now you've really got something. Very, very well said. I have a quick business question, which I, I think will be interesting. And especially for our listeners, you built that network with obviously you as the expert, and you, you know you have, there's a brand to you um, as the quarterback guru. How do you then get customers to understand that the guys that help you out are a reflection of you? And how do you get all those other coaches to understand that they're part of your team and, and that you're setting the tone? How, how do you do that? Well, I'm very blessed. I've got some really good, loyal young coaches. And ironically, they all came to me as kids, learned how to play a position with me, and they all went on and played in college. And now they're obviously out coaching high school ball, which means I'm getting old rapidly because I had them when they were 15, and now they're 25, 27, 28, 30. Um, so I'm very blessed. The, the the thing that's so disappointing to me today in today's society is loyalty. The word loyalty is gone, um, or not gone, but but in many instances it's hard to find it. And um, not long ago, I had a guy with me who never played the position, who pretended like he did, left, and now he's trying to steal a bunch of my business. Um, uh, conning people up and down the street as to what his his knowledge is. So I made the conscious decision at that point. I will never let another guy come into my company or work with me again that didn't play the position in college. If you played it, now I know at least you know. <laughs> I know you know how to conduct yourself a little bit. You you threw for 10,000 yards in college. You threw for 7,000 yards in college. You've been sacked 100 times. You're a high school football coach. You you care about the overall process of the game of football and making people, turning kids into good people not just making a bunch of money, pretending like you have this superior knowledge. Um, most of the guys have been with me six, seven, eight years, if not longer. Um, and as they've got, as as they've become better coaches, I'm very proud to say, coaching tree, whatever you want to call it. Um, there are times now where I'll say, Preston, Matt, tell me what you see here with this kid. Well, I see this, and I'll see it different, and I will then. I will be. A, I'll, I'll take a subservient role to them and say, "Okay, show me. Take the kid over and show me." And then a few times, I'll be darned if they're not right and I saw a little bit wrong, and they got him fixed faster than I was got him fixed. 
so that to me is very gratifying that now I can I can turn my back and go do some things and that I need to do and know that these people are taking care of these my coaches are taking care of these kids and they're in good hands. Um, so I'm taking a much less uh, like I think you have with your combines a much less uh, active role. In the day-to-day coaching, because now I've got so many NFL guys and starting college guys, and I got college wanting to hire me as a consultant, don't come out and assess what they're currently doing as an organization from a back standpoint. That all plays into these younger guys getting more opportunities because now, if a young guy is in the throat deep under the throat deep umbrella, then he, has, he hopefully he gets more of a. Uh, more of a opportunity than the, the guy who maybe has terrible technique and goes to guy with, with, with no knowledge because over the course of time, a guy that's coached better with proper technique is always going to be a better player as long as he stays studious and stays um, active with doing the right things and throwing the ball the right way. So he's going to, I'm going to be less apt to be fired if I have a throw at deep quarterback because he's not going to throw a bunch of interceptions. And so that's where we've gotten this thing too, and it, it's uh, it's giving me a lot of satisfaction. I'm currently got two of my ex NFL teammates coming in now to help with the NFL guys, and uh, so it's it's a constant juggling match of finding the right people made the right way that emulate me or emulate yourself, Dave, the way you did it, and. I genuinely care as much about the kid who's going to be a Division three backup quarterback and be a 35-year high school coach as the guy who's the five-star athlete. I don't need sideline passes to Ohio State. I don't care. So that doesn't impress me. And now I can honestly say I've got six assistant coaches who are the exact same way. And when I, so when I have to be out of town, it really lets me sleep well at night knowing that I know that all those kids are going to be, are going to be taken care of. That's okay. That they have the opportunity to be successful, and I think you've done a great job of setting everybody up to to have that happen. Um, I truly thank you for coming on. It's been incredibly enlightening. I'm covering from uh, the NFL players to what you do with the high school players, and and as always, uh, I'm a huge supporter of what you do. Where where can people find more about you and, and get more information on you? Well, it's uh, throwitdeep.com, as you know. And the the website's up. It's a new website. I've got a great young nephew guy who feels all my calls. Um, and he's on played high school uh, football for years and just a great young man. Uh, 630-418-9777. His name's Nick. Um, any questions anybody may have or... We're doing a lot more group settings now with groups of high schools and groups of high schools from a uh, me going out and speaking to them on how to on how to train quarterbacks and why and setting up small regional camps with various people. And now recently, I've decided I'm going to franchise out and branch out state by state and and uh, give young good young coaches the opportunity to, to join a throw deep team. So. It's uh, it, we have our own system in place where the drills are regimented now based on age, and 
we put them through our system and our, our techniques and our sequence, and then we study them and film them, and over time, we add the the drills that you would get at a little older age, and we and we try to then track the kids' progress through time, and it's going quite well. And, and Wilson Sporting Goods has been very good partnering with me on some issues and some events. So, uh, so it's it's fun and it's exciting, and it's really it's really gratifying helping these young kids. I what what you do is amazing, and I really appreciate it. You'll be able to see everything you know on iTunes. And at and uh, NUC Football on Twitter, um, I'll get you everything once it comes out. I thank you. I want to thank you again for being on the Life Learning Success Podcast. If you ever have a guest that you think we should have on, please email me at dave at nucsports.com or hit me up on Twitter at NUC Football. We enjoyed speaking with Jeff Christensen and learning more about his fantastic ideas on leadership quarterbacks and becoming successful and being your very best at that position and as well as being your very best at other positions. Please go to iTunes and comment and rate us and give us those five stars that we're looking for so we can increase our visibility of our podcast. Until next time on the Life, Learning, and Success Podcast.